Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Today we're going to be encouraged with how we participate in restoring the world and bringing hope to it. I want you to meet two people that I truly admire. Uh, They're leaders within this church community, leaders within this city. Would you welcome up the Avendanos, Rafael and Ana. These, these two are leaders in the community. They serve at Siena Youth Center on the east side of Redwood City. They both work at Kenyatta College. They serve on our racial justice collective here uh, with PCC, seeking to include and welcome people of color. You guys live this out. I, I wanted you guys to come here because I believe you truly embody the restoring and the rebuilding and the renewing. And I thought you could tell us just a little bit about how that's playing out in your life. Yeah, I just think about the story of Nehemiah and how he was an organizer, he was a strategizer, and he left his job, which was a really high-ranking job, to say, you know what, I want to go help these people who need my skill sets. And I think about how we can do that, rebuild, restore, renew. We all have skills and passions and drives in our life. And if we're more intentional to see how can we ally with those who don't have our skill sets to build, restore, and renew, right? We can be so powerful as, as, as a nation, And that's what revitalizes my heart every day is the scriptures. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I get angry. You know, I get angry. But it's like an hour of anger, an hour of creativity, and then I get into action. That's, that's, how, that's my formula. And then I, during that hour of anger, I'm usually with a bike up a really big hill because it's frustrating. But through the team that we have here at church, through the opportunities that we have here at church, through the spaces that Tony and others have created for us to talk about these things, There's healing in sacred spaces, and I'm just really proud to serve with my wife on a team that we've been a part of with the movement, and she's going to just talk a little bit more about that. Great. So Rafael and I, are we're a part of a, a coalition in North Fair Oaks, and we specifically look at um, hope to bring awareness to the housing crisis and rent increases and just economic displacement that a lot of our families are facing. And so recently, one of our youth leaders um, in December came to us and said, Um, my rent just went up $800, and my family doesn't know what to do. My neighbors, we're all, we just don't know what to do. So they came to the youth center, to the coalition, and looking for solutions. And so um, we, luckily, we were able to work with a lawyer, and we put together over the holidays, we put together a rally. And so on Tuesday, several members um, from the Siena Youth Center, from other churches, from other youth groups in East Palo Alto, uh, the mayor was there, um, the city council members. And so it was just a beautiful demonstration of all of these different people coming together in support of our families. There was 20 families that were being affected. And um, it just really shows that prayer, people power, and action really do matter. And that's part of um, what Nehemiah is living. I love that. Can we give it up for the Avendanos? Hold on, don't leave. So don't, don't miss that. They brought together people from the community. They brought together leaders from our city. And they brought together people from the church. Not just our church, but churches. And these 20 families, they got to move the, the landowner yes. to change. Yes, he's willing to negotiate. Yeah. yeah. So now the landowner actually responded recently, and he's willing to negotiate. So. That's awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons that he was stirred is that there was a sign that was left by a youth that said, I'm homeless, 
Please think about me. And he was looking at that, he said, for two hours. And don't get me wrong, when we started the protest, we all prayed before we started. It was a beautiful action demonstration. And just know that every time you pray and every time you go down to your city, it matters. It matters. You matter. But your action matters more. Mm. And that's being an ally. Okay? So... It's awesome. If you guys would like to meet Rafael and Anna, they are leading our racial justice lunch this afternoon. Once a month, they get together and talk about these issues for our church and for the city. Raf, would you pray for us? Yeah, for sure. God bless you all. Um, Let's start. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here in this space of love and compassion and just learning. Allow us to work our hearts just like Nehemiah was working his heart. Allow us to just continue to learn from our amazing pastors, but also from our amazing actions every day, Lord God. Allow us to be uncomfortable in positions, to grow in our comfort level of learning, Lord God. Allow us to wrestle with these thoughts, Lord God, and allow us to maneuver and strategize so we can help those who need our help and continue to help our souls as well. We just thank you for the space and the power that you give us, Lord God. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. You both. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. Did you hear their heart? Wouldn't you like to know the backstory? Wouldn't you like to know their upbringing? Wouldn't you like to know the events that scarred and marked and then actually catapulted them, inspired them? I know I do. I love how he prayed about something about learning from our great pastors. Uh, I'm humbled by your story and your passion because you're living out the kingdom. You're living it out. They're restorers. They have hearts uh, that are dislocated and care about things when they have other things to care about, but they choose to care about those things. The question I'm posing to us today is this. How do you feel about being a restorer? Have you ever been told that you're actually birthed and put on this earth as part of this grand story, this kingdom story, where God said, I need you at this time, after you grow a bit, mature a bit, have some scars, have some success, there's going to be things I put on your heart that I want you, and only you, with my help and the help of others, to tap into and bring restoration. Has anyone ever told you that? That that is why we're here? Maybe you haven't heard it like that. It's interesting. I could say in the 25 years I've tried to walk with God, I don't know if I've heard it as loudly except over the last three years. We've been messing with this material called Rooted, and Rooted walks people through the core truths of Christianity. And there's a page during week uh, nine, it is, where you revisit the God story, the God story that says there's this world that was created, and then sin entered it. And as a result, God said, I need to do something to change this. So he brings certain people along the way. Moses, we mostly know in some sense, and then some other prophets, and they try to bring change. And you know how their story goes. They make some change, two steps forward, you know, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. Some of those prophets are persecuted, killed. And then he brings the great prophet, the son of God, Jesus. And Jesus takes his attempt while he's on earth to bring restoration 
And he brings this hidden restoration that many of us know about and realize that the world knows of but haven't all received, and that's the cross. And what's powerful about that is after he goes and dies, God does the thing that makes no sense to me. He left it to us. That is the worst plan. (laughs) Didn't that seem like such an inspiring story for a while? And then he left it to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So not alone. So will you say a word with me right now? Uh, I want you to say the word restore on the count of three. One, two, three. Now would you say it in a way that you question it? Like, restore? Seriously? I'm supposed to be a restore? So just say it in a questioning way. Restore? One, two, three. Restore? Exactly. But that's why we're here. Today, I don't want you to ponder really what you should restore. I want you to ponder your heart. Your heart. And where's your heart with restoration? Maybe today's the first day you've heard somebody say that God calls us to be restorers. At times, I'll call that playing kingdom versus playing earth. That God wants us to be playing this kingdom game of endlessly restoring. And what's interesting, as we study the book of Nehemiah, he's a restorer. And there's certain attributes that come out in Nehemiah that are worth noting. It's these attributes of restorers. And the first one is this, that he has a dislocated heart. That might not make much sense, and it is our big idea today, and that's what we're going to explain for the uh, next few minutes. But look at the big idea. A dislocated heart is the starting point to becoming a restorer. So as we ponder where we are as being a restorer, are we willing to receive that or not? Where's our heart in this? And here's a definition of a dislocated heart. A dislocated heart cares about things elsewhere when circumstances don't dictate that you have to. These two were not planning to go to a rally on Tuesday about a year ago. But that need came to them and it dislocated them. Now sure, it might be part of their core work, but they jumped off and put a lot of energy to where they're headed in that scenario they spoke of. And so often a dislocated heart goes far, far elsewhere or just a little off the track. I mean, you've had this experience. You're going through your normal day. Maybe it's a Saturday. Maybe that's gassing up the car, going to Costco, uh, going to your kids' games, uh, visiting people. But then something gets in the way of that and it dislocates you, and you go, I got to deal with, wait a minute, they have this need? Oh, we got, we got to go help the Joneses today. Hey, kids, I know we are planning to do this, but we're going there. That's a dislocated heart. Sometimes it happens in your job. Sometimes it happens in your neighborhood. Sometimes it happens in your actual family. Sometimes it taps you, and it's this nationwide thing or in another country thing, and it just taps you. It dislocates your heart. I had my first job in the early 90s. I was a sales rep for MetLife selling uh, corporate health insurance products to companies. And I realized soon after I got there as a young sales rep, I was in a bad situation. We had a product that people didn't want to buy, but I was told every day to get out there and sell something. And I had brokers who didn't want to listen to a young kid explain this lousy product, so it was challenging to get 
through a sales cycle. And I found myself at times being dislocated from the sales process. So for a while, I was focused on what was happening in the mailroom. In the mailroom, there was a young man who was working there, and he was uh, intellectually challenged, mentally disabled. And the reality was, he didn't do the mailroom very well. He'd put the wrong things in the wrong slots, and sometimes the proposals that had to be bound in the back would be bound wrong. And I'd watch the sales guys take this guy to task. And I'd see it, and I'd see it, and my heart became dislocated. So my first thing was to talk to my sales buddies. Hey, you guys are being jerks to him. Why are you being such a jerk to him? Oh, Birdman. That was my nickname back in those days. My last name's Ren. All these older guys called me Birdman, all right? And I'd, and I'd come to faith during that time, so the one guy would always say, oh, Birdie, you found the Bible. Now you care about the world. And he would mock me. But I'd say, hey, stop being a jerk. So then I went to the office manager. I said, hey, what's the deal? Do you see this guy's being treated mistreatment? And then I was called into my sales office by uh, the, the director of sales. And he says to me, what are you doing? I said, yeah, they, they're not treating a guy well. You're not supposed to care about that. Go sell something. So then a couple of weeks went by. I got called back into his office. He's like, I thought we had this discussion. I do not want you involved in these things. That's the office manager's job in HR. I need you to go sell something. A while later, I get called back in the office. Hey, you're not listening to me. This is getting serious. I don't want you involved anymore, and it doesn't matter what your agenda is, that guy. He's gone tomorrow. That's how a dislocated heart works. Sometimes it works out when you follow your dislocated heart, and obviously, sometimes it doesn't. Can you relate to it? We just raise your hand where you know you've had a dislocated heart for something and you followed it, whether it succeeded or not. Yeah, welcome to being human. Welcome to being human. And it's so interesting. You know, a dislocated heart is not about sadness. It's not about making just a tweet or a like or a repost on a Facebook. It's not actually about simple activism because if you think about what they're doing, I go, do I have the energy for that? And that makes me wrestle a lot with, why don't I have the energy with that? Because that's more than simple activism. It's more than simple activism, much more than simple activism. It's a stirring that God puts on your heart, and in time, it becomes a movement of change. We're offering this book here to help us enhance our process through the series of Nehemiah. And there's actually a great video series on our Right Now Media platform that goes with this. If you grab a book, it shows you how to get all connected to that. But listen to this quote about a dislocated heart. Every great or small movement of God and every project that has brought about relief of human need and the fulfillment of God's will has started with one man or one woman who cared deeply enough to hear God's voice and step out and do something. It started with a dislocated heart. That person understood that he or she couldn't change everything, but he was convinced, or she was convinced, he had to change something. Have you felt it when your heart's dislocated? Is there something in your life right now that God is stirring in that way? You know, there's pictures of this happening 
all throughout our nation all the time. And here's what's so amazing. This is where I do believe we are all made in the image of God and because of that, our heart beats with God, whether we acknowledge it or not, for the things of God. Did you hear that? Whether you acknowledge it or not, our heart is beating at times for the things of God. We also know based on our fleshliness, sometimes our heart is not beating with God's God's heart and we're off base. Anybody watch the Golden Globes last week? There are more TVs than this, I believe, in this room. (laughs) Asking Christians on whether they watch TV or not is a really interesting question. (laughs) It's like asking them, do you have Netflix? What's that? (laughs) Did you ever check your Facebook? I mean, yeah, let's just get a few things out. Money's okay, sex is okay, TV's okay. They say marijuana's okay. That's a whole different (laughs) scenario right now. God loves us to have enjoyment. He also speaks to moderation. So it's okay if you watch your TV. If you were watching last week, when I think many of you were, and if you caught up on Monday, if you caught up on Monday, because I believe you check your news feed too, by Monday, Oprah was running for president. (laughs) Oprah was president, I think, by Monday. Some of you wish she was president by Monday. That's a whole other topic we won't go into. But what you saw on Sunday night was her heart. Hear these words. They'll be on the screen. I'm not even promoting Oprah here. I'm promoting a dislocated heart. For too long, women have not heard or believed if they dare speak the truth to the power of those men. But their time is up. Their time is up. So I want all girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon. And when that day finally dawns, it will be because a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are in this room right here tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men, fighting hard to make sure they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody else has to say me too again. That's just somebody's heart beating with what God wants, equality, no more objectifying of women. I'm not promoting Oprah. I'm showing you a dislocated heart. Has anybody gone to the movies lately and seen The Greatest Showman? Raise your hand if you have. You go to The Greatest Showman, and this is what you're watching there, and this is why it's racing through the country. This is why the songs people are singing even before they go to the movie, okay? The songs are tapping into people's desire to be a rebuilder, a restorer, and renewal. This Is Me, which is the hot song off that soundtrack, is somebody saying, I can be accepted. I have value. I can be seen. This is what people with dislocated hearts fight for. What's so interesting is that why do people run to Santa Rosa and Sonoma when the fires start and they want to give their money, it's because their heart's beating for what God wants and their heart gets dislocated from their normal day and they're drawn to something else. In PCC, I see it all the time. You all are an example of it. I remember 10 years ago, Roosevelt School just down the road here has changed over 10 years because this body had a dislocated heart. I won't name names, but there were two people that I really believe were the Nehemiah and Ezra that helped birth a change in that school. And 10 years later, it's not the same school. The same people don't even go there anymore. It's unbelievable what's happened in that way. 
It's the same for what's happened with street church and literacy around here at the youth center downtown. It's what I hear when people say, you know, my family's broken because my aunt did this, the blah, 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 and I gotta go do something. A dislocated heart can happen and force you to do something in your family, in your work, at your school, in your community, or in the world as a whole. In Nehemiah's case, he shows us what a dislocated heart is like and what a dislocated heart wants. Look what happens in this first point. A dislocated heart wants what God wants. And this only happens if you start asking and pondering and reflecting. The background is that Nehemiah had been exiled. He His family before him had been taken to another region out of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is an individual who grows up in a different culture. He becomes a cupbearer. He has a high standing job. The cupbearer is living among royalty. Sure, he could die any minute. Okay, he's the sipper to see if somebody's trying to kill the king. All right, that's his job. All right, but he's living amongst high royalty. He is at the right hand of the king but his heart gets dislocated and it begins to beat in a new way when he hears the following. His brother comes to him and in verse two, it says, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back. So some have been able to go back to Jerusalem. He didn't go back. He's still living high in the hog with the king. And they've gone back to the providence, but they're in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. And this is where his heart starts to beat. His heart starts to beat. We must restore. I know the history. I think I have some influence and power. Could I possibly? What if? What if I begin a resurgence? Have others gone back that care just like me that I could partner with? and the heart is beating, and the heart is beating for something else. Have you had that stir in your own life about something? What's so interesting, I think it happens in seasons. Some seasons, our heart is just beating for our regular life. But then there's these other seasons where our heart gets tapped by something, and we just got to do it. I don't know why I ever joined the Big Brother, Big Sister program. I just drove by it a lot when I was a single guy in Belmont back when I had that job with MetLife and I was a bit bored. But I joined and my heart got attached to this 11-year-old boy who what? Now, he's 37 years old. It didn't go how I wanted. I wish a lot of things were different, but my heart is with that boy. Have you had a season where you got attached to something? Sometimes it's something in the past that stirred in you or you didn't like how it went and you're like, now, now that I'm this age, that will not happen again. That's how I feel about marriage. My mom just died December 11th. It was wonderfully and terribly beautiful. It was such a joy on December 29th to be at a Catholic mass and watch the incense rise up above her ashes and to say how my mom's life had so touched me in such an imperfect way. My mom and dad married almost 60 years. 
It wasn't a good marriage. So there's something about that back then that when I got to this place and I had to seminary, had to write in a counseling course one time, a marriage seminar, that I went, oh my, this taps something in me. And I want people to have kingdom marriages. I don't think my mom and dad understood the marriage they could have. And that's based on their own baggage and ignorance and blah, 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 blah. And now my passion to have marriages rise up and live in a way beyond I can ever imagine and only God wants, there's where my heart's beating. Is there something like that, how the past that was wrong makes you want to stir now and step into something? That's what a dislocated heart does. That's what a dislocated heart, that's how it starts to beat and starts to want what God wants. And sometimes there's just seasons for that. There's seasons where I care about this, this matters now, that's not my season anymore. I go on my normal life. But then again, something else comes up. There's seasons for you in that. Frederick Buechner gives a great quote that says this, the place God calls you is the place where your great joy meets the world's great need. Let me modify that a little bit. The place God calls you is the place where your great joy or past pain meets the world's great need. Why do you think sometimes our hearts are just dead for what's around us? Let's do a little open session here. Why would you say sometimes our hearts are dead, desensitized to the things that God wants around us? Somebody just shout them out. What was that? Exhaustion, yes, like, I'm exhausted when I hear your story. I'm inspired, but I also go, oh my gosh, how would I do that? Exhausted, somebody else. Why don't we? Overwhelmed, Overwhelmed. just with our current, current, and yeah, just with our current situation. Somebody else. Repetition, I love repetition. You get up, you do your thing, you do it again, you come home, you do that again, you get back up the next day, you do your thing and do it again. Yeah, and you just miss it. You just miss it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else, that is, that is a deep thought actually. Uh, somebody else, why do we miss the stuff that God wants our hearts to get engaged with? Disappointment, yeah. I don't get that fully, but yeah. Disappointment, like disappointment in what way? Yeah, it doesn't go, so you weigh it in. You're like, this is too hard. This is impossible. It'll never change. I must have been crazy. I'm going back to my routine. Somebody else? Distraction. Yes, distractions. Welcome to video games, Facebook, Netflix. Name whatever else that you just get lost in just like me. Somebody else? Past failures. Past failures, yeah. Yeah, somebody else? Oh, yeah. We go, that would be impossible. I can't. I have a five-letter word for you to help you overcome that. Grace. Yeah, I've missed some of them. Like you heard, you know, I got, you all, I got myself all fired up there about marriage for a moment. That's, yeah, but we miss a lot of other simple ones right before our eyes, right before our eyes. And then we miss some big ones that are so life-changing that God just hoped we'd get it. But here's what's great. There's always a second chance to get involved. There's always new eyes to look at it a different way. That's called grace. That's where you gotta forgive yourself, stand back up, and go, God, 
Give me new eyes to see again. And then God, give me grace also means, grace also means, grace means forgiveness, unmerited favor. Grace also means strength. The grace of the Lord be with you. You need the strength to do the impossible. But sometimes we're just desensitized. But we've got to ask and we've got to hear. Look what also a dislocated heart uh, does. A dislocated heart hurts for the hurting. Look at the next passage. After he heard all that, look what he did. He says, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I want you to look at that word wept. That word wept is weeped and that means distilled. What's so interesting, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord, the God of heaven. This process of weeping, I think, distills us and actually helps attach us to the heart of God. Has there been something in your life where it wasn't until you really let it settle in that you got attached to it and then your heart was willing to go after it? Our family, um, my wife said, has been going through a really tough divorce and that divorce uh, has wreaked havoc for two years with these teenage kids that are involved And I almost have to ignore it sometimes because of the anger that's in me, and then it seems so impossible, and what's my role geographically away? But what'll happen then, there'll be these soft moments when I'll think of my youngest niece, and it'll rock my world, what she's having to go through, because she's the pawn in the final piece of this thing at 18, or she's not 18 yet. And it destroys me. And then it makes me want to pray. And then it makes me want to get engaged. And then it makes me inquire. And then it makes me want to ask, are you with me? I believe the weeping helps connect us. Do you know a scenario in Jesus' life where he was the same way? All human, all God, standing above Jerusalem, and he's weeping. He didn't want to go be sacrificed. We know that because his next round of tears were in the garden. And remember, he's weeping to try to distill himself to figure out, am I in or am I out on this? But I know I gotta be in. It's interesting. I think another main reason we don't allow our hearts to get attached is because we don't let the emo- we don't wanna get attached to the emotion. My little brother in the big brother program, it's too easy to distance myself from him at 37 when I know God wants my heart to care for him in that way. I was wondering about other weepers in the Bible. Did weeping do anything else to anybody else? So I Googled, did Esther weep? Google is actually the best search engine in the world for the Bible. I've bought all these other Bible study tools, hands down, just use Google. (laughs) So I type in questions sometimes at Google about the Bible and they get me places. Did Esther weep? Who's Esther? Esther was this person who actually didn't have position, but gained position. And she was told, you got to do something because people are being persecuted. And she wept and fasted and prayed and the doors opened. Then I Googled, I couldn't remember. Did Peter weep? And I went, oh, Peter weeped a lot. Look at that. Peter, well, remember what Peter did? He denied Jesus. I mean, he was at the right hand of the Father himself and he weeped like crazy after he realized. And then look how strong Peter is later on after his weeping because his heart got aligned. 
the emotion, the weeping gets us in line with the heart of God. Finally, a dislocated heart waits on God's timing. Nehemiah actually waited for four months. It's what he, for four months, he weeped, he prayed, he mourned, he prayed. He weeped, he prayed, he mourned, he prayed. That's what he did for four months. I think he probably, probably wrote some plans down too, but he did nothing. Isn't it hard when you get something on your heart and you're like, let's go? But it might not be time. And so I think waiting on God's timing is huge. And when you look at his prayer, look what his prayer says. First, he starts with a praise. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his command. And then he requests, let your ears be attentive, Lord, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you this day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So he's praying, he's asking for Israel. And then he confesses. This is a great prayer model. Praise, repent, ask. P-R-A, then yield. Why? P-R-A-Y. It's the greatest, simplest way to pray. And then he says, I confess the sins of Israel, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And then again he asks, remember the instructions you gave Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you obey my commands, then, then even if you... Then even if your exiled people are at the far, farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. He's saying, God, you made a promise with us. Will you keep it? That's what he's requesting. But he waited. Prayer and waiting are a huge part of being a restorer. So as we close out today, I want you to see what Eugene Peterson says about prayer. He says, waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. So will you let your heart get dislocated today and beat with something that God wants you to beat with him, with his grace and his strength? And will you ponder these questions maybe to help you? And as we close right now, I want to give you the option to do that. Just sit in silence before Tabitha comes back and leads us. And here are the questions. How have you been a restorer and why do you care? And why did you care? So maybe go back to what you go, oh, I was a restorer back then. Maybe that'll help stir your passion for restoring. Ask yourself the big question, do you want to be a restorer for God's kingdom? Do you understand this macro picture that you were birthed into and God has for you? How about this one? What is it that currently breaks your heart? And then are you willing to ask, to hear, to get fully attached through weeping and prayer and wait to act? So we just ponder those. I'm gonna pray for us, but ask you to ponder those. God, speak to us. Which question is it that you have for us today? thanks that there are seasons thanks that there's different things and I don't have to go stand at a protest on Tuesday but I could if you're calling me to speak Lord what do you have for us right now
thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.